1: Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Are you blameless? Are you blameless? The Apostle Paul said that all stewards are required to be faithful. But when we speak of those who are called to lead the church, we are also called to be blameless. It is not that God is saying only elders, only pastors are required to be blameless. But as the leaders, we are to be the ones who are held more accountable and to live our lives in such a way that while we are none of us sinless, there is no easy accusation that could be made against any areas of our life. Now, we, as you know, have been engaged in a youth pastor search. And if the Lord tarries, Lord willing, as our church grows, this will not be the only pastoral search we re- we've engaged in. And I've been on the other side of that search several times. Uh, this is my first time to actually uh, head up the search. And so I found this online. Uh, This is a pastoral search report. I thought I'd share this with you. I I found it a little discouraging. I was interested in getting your take on this. It says, uh, pastoral search report. We do not have a happy report to give. We've not been able to find a suitable candidate for this church, though we have one promising prospect still. We do appreciate all the suggestions from the church members. We followed up each one with interviews or calling at least three references. And so the following is our uh, confidential report on the present candidates. Our first candidate was named Noah. His former pastorate of 120 years yielded no converts, um, prone to unrealistic building projects. Our second candidate, uh, his name was Abraham, Uh, though the references reported wife-swapping, the facts seem to show he never slept with another man's wife, but did offer to share his own wife with another man. Um, Joseph, a big thinker, but a braggart. Uh, He believes in dream interpreting and has a prison record. Uh, Moses, a modest and meek man, but uh, not a lot of confidence in his communication skills. Apparently, he stutters at times. Sometimes uh, he loses his temper and acts rashly. Some say he left an earlier church over a murder charge. Uh, that brings us to a, a candidate who I liked at first. His name was David, and he was the most promising leader of all until we discovered the affair he had with his neighbor's wife. Um, Interestingly enough, we also received an application from his son Solomon, a great preacher, but our parsonage would never hold all those wives. Uh, Elijah, prone to depression, collapses under pressure. Elisha, reported to have lived with a single widow while at his former church. Hosea, a tender and loving pastor, but our people could never handle his wife's occupation Uh, Deborah, disqualified for being female. Jeremiah, emotionally unstable, alarmist, negative, always griping and lamenting things. Reported to have taken a long trip to bury his underwear on the bank of a foreign river. So we're not sure if he was on his medication or not when that happened. Um, Isaiah, on the fringe, claims to have seen angels in church, has trouble with his language. Jonah, Refused God's call into ministry until he was forced to obey by getting swallowed up by a great fish. He told us the fish later spit him out on the shore near here. Um, Sounded like a big fish story to us, so we hung up. Amos, um, too backward, unpolished. Uh, We think if he had some seminary training, he might have promised, but he has a hang-up against wealthy people. Um, Might fit in better in a poor congregation or maybe on the mission field. Uh, John um, says he's a Baptist, but definitely doesn't dress like one of us, has slept in the outdoors for months on end, has a weird diet, provokes denominational leaders. Peter, too blue collar, has a bad temper, even has been known to curse, had a big run in with Paul in Antioch, aggressive, but a loose cannon. Now Paul, powerful CEO type leader, fascinating preacher, however, uh, he is short on tact. He's unforgiving with younger ministers. Harsh has been known to preach all night. You think that this preacher preaches long. Timothy. Well, Timothy's too young, not to mention the fact that he has a stomach issue. We're not really sure about his health. And, of course, um, apparently not married. Jesus um, had popular times, but once his church grew to 5,000, he managed to offend them all, and his church dwindled down to 12 people. That's a little bit of an exaggeration for sake of the illustration. Um, Of course, he is also single, Uh, but this particular pastoral search report uh, did have one promising candidate named Judas, Uh, solid references, steady plotter, conservative, good connections, knows how to handle money. We're inviting him to preach this Sunday possibilities here. I hope that pastoral search is not as discouraging to you as it is to me. Aren't you glad that God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called? And so, as we look for a pastor, a youth pastor, we are not looking for perfection. We are not looking for sinlessness, uh, but we are looking for blamelessness. And we're looking for somebody, whatever uh, may have been in their past, that is um, in step with God in the present and heading uh, into the future as a uh, as a blameless leader, and so, as we go back to the book of titus tonight we 've seen that Titus is about the threefold mission of the church it 's uh, the the mission of every church, and Paul summarizes that here in the beginning of Titus chapter one let 's look at this verse again: Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of god 's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness so uh what are we about we are about advancing the faith when we talk about the faith we're not just talking about personal faith we're talking about the system the public profession that preaches and defends the gospel we are advancing the faith we are proclaiming the truth of god's word and proclaiming the truth that is the son of god jesus is the truth and his word is truth and so we are to be all about jesus and all about his word and we are to do that to inspire godliness, to inspire Christ-like living, Christ-like obedience to God. And so to accomplish this mission, Paul wrote this letter to Titus, and he tells us in verse five why he wrote the letter. That's, the letter is, is about the mission, but why did he write it? Verse five, for this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou should set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed these, So two reasons that he wrote this book, But there were things that needed to be set in order in the church in order to accomplish the mission. And the first thing that needed to be done to accomplish that mission was the leadership of the church had to be established. As John Maxwell has said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And so there is a tremendous weight that is placed on the man That God calls. We're going to talk in a few moments about um, the qualifications of an elder, but let me just remind you very quickly what we saw the last time we were together. An elder is a man who has been chosen by the Holy Spirit. We see that in the book of Acts. It's the Holy Spirit who sets aside. We see that. Uh, in um, the praying and fasting that that Paul and Barnabas did whenever they were choosing elders. We also see that specifically articulated by Paul in Acts chapter 20, where he tells the elders of the Ephesians church, the Holy Spirit is the one who chose you for this office. And so the uh, pastor or the elder is the man chosen by the Spirit to oversee That's why he's called an overseer to oversee the affairs of the local church and to shepherd. That's why he's called a pastor to shepherd the people as. And here's an important phrase that Paul uses here in um, verse seven as the steward of God. That is to say that no pastor should ever think that this is. Uh, their church. This this is our uh, our church in the sense that we are assigned to this church. We are ordained and placed in this church to serve this church, but we are not ever to think of ourselves as the Lord of the church. It is never my way or the highway. Uh, that is a recipe for disaster, and the CEO mentality that has permeated the Laodicean Western American church, as we talked about this morning, is incredibly toxic. And it is an offense to the chief shepherd and the chief bishop of our souls, Jesus Christ. We are to serve as the stewards of God. And as Ephesians 4 said, we do that equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, the pastor's job is not to do all the ministry. I could not possibly do all the ministry. It is my job using the word of God and by setting the best example that I can set to equip you to do the work of the ministry. To equip you to serve, to equip you to find your giftedness. Uh, There, there are so many things. I love it when we have a council meeting. I'm not, you know, I don't look forward to um, quarterly business meetings. I just don't. But um, even though we've never had a bad one, uh, Lord, uh, praise God, since I've been here. But um, I can't say that about every church I've ever been a part of. But I love the council meetings that we have the night before and the um, fellowship and the joking and the encouragement and um, just to see all of you who God uses to get the work done. And by the way, if you want to be part of that, I mean, we're always looking for people to serve and to be involved. And um, you can start next week by helping us with the kids in the uh, nursery uh, during movie night if you would like to talk to me after the service. Um, But by... By equipping the saints, we serve as God's stewards. Again, under shepherds, under bishop, of the chief shepherd, chief bishop of every church. That is First Peter chapter 2, verse 25, if you're looking for the reference to that. And so, as we said last week, elders are to lead among the people, never, uh, as First Peter 5 commands, never to lord it over the people. But however, we have to remember what Paul told the Ephesians, uh, the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 28, he says, I tell you even now with tears that some of you are going are, are to reject what I'm telling you. You're going to think that you're the big man on, on campus and you're going to try to do your own thing. You're going to try to think this is your own um, uh, power and your own wisdom and it's, and it's your way or the highway and you are going to be a wolf in the church. And we've seen that time and again, uh, what happens when a man who is not qualified, is nevertheless put in place in a position of ministry. Now again, we can never, we can never be foolproof in this because even the Apostle Paul, when he was ministering in Ephesus, even the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit told him some of these guys that he had worked with, that he had trained, some of them were going to go rogue. But, but the Holy Spirit didn't tell him which ones. One of them, uh, that worked with Paul very famously, not at, um, not as an elder at Ephesus, but in missionary work with Paul is a man by the name of Demas. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And so we are, can never be foolproof, but we are called to be faithful in discerning whether someone is blameless as best as we can to the best of our ability. And so let's look here. At five criteria. Before we dive into verses six, seven, eight, and nine tonight, let me give you five key criteria for how we determine whether somebody is even a candidate to be an elder or to be an overseer or pastor. Now, there are four key passages, two key books, First Timothy and Titus, the written two pastors about pastoring. Obviously, they're written to the church as well, but specifically, and and I should add also in their 2nd Timothy, so really three books, 1st and 2nd Timothy, although the emphasis in both of those books is a little bit different, uh, but both of those and Titus deal with how a pastor must pastor, how an overseer must oversee, how an elder uh, must lead in the congregation. And in addition to that, there are four key passages uh, outside of those books, Acts chapter 20, which we already mentioned, uh, we we preached on that uh, probably about a year and a half ago, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, uh, Paul addressing his final address to the elders at, at Ephesus, at, um, at least that group of elders. Ephesians chapter 4, a passage that we looked at about a year ago, where we, uh, I just quoted it, it's the role of the missionary today, the pastor teacher to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Uh, as the ones who are building the church with the church. Of course, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church, the apostles and prophets, the foundation of the church. And now we as uh, pastor teachers and as missionaries are assigned the responsibility of equipping the saints for the work of that ministry. Then we would add to that Hebrews chapter 13, which if we have time tonight, we'll look at those two verses, chapter 13, verses seven and 17. And then one of the key passages is 1 Peter chapter five, which uh, any man who serves in the office of pastor should very, very much familiarize themselves with. In fact, I can remember um, like it was last week when I was a youth pastor struggling with my calling and not wanting to be a pastor, but knowing that I had been called to be a pastor. And we were, uh, we had gone, um, actually, I think we were on the way to Barbersville, West Virginia from Catlisburg, Kentucky, and we were driving on the interstate. And Chuck Swindoll was on the radio and he was teaching 1 Peter chapter 5. And it was one of those moments where I felt like he was speaking through the radio to me about some of the things in that passage of Scripture. And so that's a very uh, important passage of of Scripture to me as a pastor. Um, But those are are verses and chapters and books that we're not going to try to consider all of that tonight as we talk about the qualifications. That is the work of that they are called to do, and by the way, if you wanna know what you can and should expect from your pastor, those are good places to start. When you see what God says the pastor is to do, then you can determine whether a pastor is, is uh, fulfilling his job or not as it, as it relates. Now, again, we're accountable to, to the church, yes, uh, as, as someone who's leading among the ch- uh, church, not over the church, but ultimately, our accountability is as the steward of God. So ultimately, we will give an account to God. But it is within a few other places that we see the qualifications given. One of those is Acts chapter 14. Uh, again, Acts chapter 28. And, and both of those passages uh, emphasize the fact uh, that it's the Holy Spirit's choosing. We'll come back to that. First Timothy chapter two, Titus chapter one. Now when we look at all of that, let me just, let me just summarize all of this for you, Give you the reader's digest version, there are five key criteria. Before we ordain an elder, before we even decide whether we're going to see if someone is blameless, five key criteria. Number one, they must be men. They must be men. They must be men. Now, uh, we are in a, an age in the church where uh, it is increasingly becoming, a uh, pastoring is increasingly becoming women's work, and that is because what is being called pastoring is not actually pastoring. But it, it, it must be men. That's not my opinion. That's the Apostle Paul, who in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 says, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she, and, and the she here, I believe, is Eve, not Eve, the woman in the church, because because it says in in the Greek it says the woman and the woman would in context would be Eve. Notwithstanding, Eve's uh, is is redeemed or saved through the ch- the childbearing. And what is the key aspect of the childbearing? Because uh, the childbearing brought forth the capital C child, and so because of of um, the gift that God did, so then all women and all men can be saved if. Uh, we respond in faith and in love and in holiness with sobriety, okay? And then he goes on in chapter 3, verse 1, to say this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop. If a man, right after he says, I don't permit a woman to teach or usurp authority, He says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. I know that is not socially acceptable. I know that is considered hateful and judgmental by the Laodiceans of our day. And I do not care because that is what God's word says. So he must be a man. Number two, notice also he must be a believer walking in faith. You say, where do you see that? I see that in Acts chapter 14, verse 23 and when they, Paul and Barnabas, had ordained them, elders in every church, and they had prayed with fasting. They prayed with fasting. This is why we're fasting. Okay, this is the biblical model for us. We should be praying, but we should also have times of fasting. They commended them, these men that they ordained, to the Lord, on whom they, not Paul and Barnabas, but on whom the men they ordained, on whom they believed. Who did they believe on? The Lord. So what he's saying is, Paul and Barnabas were praying and fasting, but they were ordaining men that they knew had a testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. They had a testimony. And so it's not, it's not, let's find the best looking guy. It's not, let's find the guy with the most charisma. It's not, let's find the guy who has the most money or who looks the best in a suit or who quarterback the football team. As happens, as happens in churches. Let's find the man who has a life of believing faith in Jesus Christ. Number three, they must be chosen by God because they are the stewards of God. I've already quoted it or I've already referenced it to you. But let me again, um, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves, elders, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. The Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Why am I your pastor? Because the Holy Spirit decided that. And I can see that in how God brought us together. And Gigi and I can give testimony to that on on God's hand and even getting me back to Cumberland and then even um, how God got me um, uh, to put even my resume in. And, And we see the hand of God on that. And we have to make sure that while we are doing our due diligence that we are praying and fasting because we want the Lord to lead us to this youth pastor and whatever other pastor God would have us to pursue in the future. They must be chosen by God because they're God's stewards. They're not our stewards. Okay, And so this discerning, uh, how do we know whether they are a steward of God? How do we know whether the Holy Spirit's called them? That's why we pray. That's why we fast. Uh, number four, this is found in 1 Timothy 3. 1. They must desire the office. They must desire the office. Now, I've already told you I didn't, want, I didn't want to be a pastor, but I was a pastor. But I desired it in the sense that I knew that it was what God had called me to do. I didn't want it to be what God had called me to do. But I desired to do it. I, the whole reason I pursued it is because I knew that God had called me to it. I knew it. The desire to do what God had called me to do, even though I didn't want it to be what God... Had called me to do was in me, and of course I'm not speaking about three years ago. I'm speaking about um, uh, I'm speaking about 20 years ago, 20, 22, 23 years ago, when I was uh, a youth pastor, really wrestling with my calling. But I knew the reason that I was doing what I was doing, the reason that I didn't quit every Monday morning, which is every Monday for the I told my uh, Sunday morning Bible study this morning. The first three years I was a youth pastor. Every Monday morning, I wanted to quit, and I didn't because I had made a, a, a covenant with God that I would give it three years. And uh, a, a wise, wise pastor uh, mentor uh, encouraged me to make that commitment. And so, um, so I had that desire to obey God in doing it. And then, of course, number five, which we're going to unpack tonight um, to the best of my ability in the time that we have, they must be found blameless. They must be found blameless. Now, we are looking specifically for uh, at uh, Titus chapter three, not first Timothy chapter three. The passage in first Timothy is almost identical, but there's one main difference between what you will see in first Timothy and what you will see in Titus in Timothy. First Timothy, chapter three, Paul is writing to a man who is over a large church. Paul has pastored at that church for three years. Paul has invested his life in that church. He has taught them. He has trained them. It is a large congregation. They have many, many elders. And Paul says to Timothy, if you're choosing someone to be an overseer of one of the local fellowships, we don't know exactly how the church was organized, but but if if you're choosing a man to shepherd a particular um, uh, locality of, of the Ephesian church, you need to make sure that he is not an immature or a new convert. You need to make sure that he is a man who has a testimony and who has been in the faith and has been trained for a long time. He does not give that burden to Titus. He does not give that requirement to Titus. And you say, why? Well, it's not because Paul forgot. It's because Titus is in a completely different environment. Titus is in a missionary setting. Titus is going... To to places where people are just now getting saved, where churches are being planted and they're just being born, and there are not men, in number, not en masse, anyways. I'm sure there were some who had been saved that had been transplanted. Maybe they went uh, because Paul sent them to pastor, or maybe. Uh, but but it sounds from from what we read that that. Paul had been sending men other places, but Crete was a new, fresh uh, uh, missionary territory. And so he doesn't put a burden on Titus and an expectation that he could not possibly meet. And so because of the missionary environment, he does not tell Titus, you have to find guys who are um, not recent converts, guys who have been trained. Uh, But nevertheless, they still had to be blameless. Now, There are seven areas I've I've grouped all of these qualifications up into seven general areas. But again, the overarching summary word is blameless. They must be blameless. They must have no area in their life. They're not sinless, but they must have no area in their life where, as Paul says to Timothy, the devil can get a foothold or where it's they're an easy target for an accusation. So what are the seven areas? What are the seven areas that we need to look at when we're trying to evaluate? We're praying and fasting to see if a man has been called, has been ordained, whether God has placed that calling on their life. But then we are also then trying to determine whether they are not just called, but qualified to do it today. Because sometimes a a man is, is called, but not yet qualified. Or sometimes a man is called and was qualified, but he has allowed sin to come into his life and he's had to step back out of ministry for a season until we could see the the fruits of repentance and see the demonstration that he has been um, repentant and he can be restored to leadership or to ministry. And so we have to make those evaluations on a case by case basis. So whether or not they are called is separate from whether or not they are currently qualified and blameless to pastor in the present. And so we find these seven categories given to us. Now let's look here again, Titus chapter one, at what these seven categories are. Number one, these are primary areas, number one, his marriage, his marriage for a Bishop, verse 7, must be blameless. as Well, uh, excuse me, verse 6. If any man be blameless, the husband of one wife. His marriage must be blameless. There must not be an area of um, vulnerability, disqualification in his relationship with his wife. He must be uh, a one-woman man. Now, this is one of the most hotly debated phrases in the whole book of Titus. What does it mean to be the husband of one wife? I had a college professor who is, who is with the Lord now, uh, but a college professor who believed that it meant that you could not pastor unless you were married, and you could only have one wife, and if she died, you could not remarry. Because he took a very wooden interpretation of this verse he says, well it says husband of one wife so he must be a husband he can only get one wife if she passes away he can serve in other areas but he cannot be an elder he cannot be a pastor I let me just I completely reject that idea okay I believe that the phrase I believe that what Paul is doing is he's exercising an idiom uses the same idiom in first Timothy chapter three I say I think that he is simply saying a he he must be a one woman man he must be a husband to his wife if he is married now he may not be married paul was not married paul we know that paul wasn't married because in first corinthians 7 verse 7 paul says I, w- I would that you all were like me nevertheless i know that you're not and i know that because of temptation and sin some of you cannot serve in ministry without a wife and so if if you are called to be married, then then you should be married, and you can be married, and it's not a sin to be married. But you may not be called to be married. I wish that you weren't. And listen, I would not, I would not uh, change my uh, decision, my free will decision, to uh, get down on one knee and say, "Gigi, would you marry me?" Or, Galila, get at you. Would you marry me? I believe is what I actually said, and. Um, she said, I would, I would marry you a million times. And I said, is that yes? And she said, I would, I would marry you over and over again. I said, I'm still waiting for yes. I want to hear yes. I don't want to hear but, right? I don't want to hear, I would marry you over and over again. But I want to hear yes. And so she did. She didn't. Um, and and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that for the world. I would not, I would not ever trade my, my son for, for the whole world wouldn't trade Gigi for the whole world, okay? I love my family. But I understand what Paul says when he says that when you are married, you have concerns with the affairs of this world that you do not have when you are single. And there are, things, there are limits to, I can't just get up, um, especially if Gigi's not home yet. If, if I get a phone call, I just can't get in the car and run to go to the hospital or run to go to somebody's house because I got a six-year-old with me. And there, are, and there are expectations, you say, well, you can drop him off somewhere, you can drop him off at our house. I appreciate that, but you do not know my son and his bedtime routine, which takes about four hours, okay? Because he takes about two hours to eat, and, um, and every night is a fight every night is a fight so I I just don't have the freedom that I and 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 I'm not I'm not apologizing for that and I'm not regretting that I'm just saying that is a reality Paul did not have that so Paul could do whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it he could get up when he wanted to get up and he could go to bed when he wanted to go to bed I don't get to go to bed when I want to go to bed I've got a son who has to have his teeth brushed and has to get changed and I got to get him to school in the morning and and so whenever Gigi and I are able to 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 carpool together and I get to take her to work before I before I come over here to the church and uh, we don't get to do that very often because of her schedule. But so Paul was not married. Paul was still pastoring in a church and I know and I know some people say, well, he's never called a pastor. Well, he was an apostle, not a pastor. Well, the apostle John says that he was an elder. John says, I'm an elder. And the Apostle Peter says, I'm an elder. I'm your fellow elder. So the office of apostle carried with it the responsibilities of, of being an elder in the church. And Paul was not married. So if he is married, he should be a one-woman man. Uh, I don't have time to go more into deep, more deeply into it than that. But, but that is my position of understanding and why I hold that position. Number two, his parenting. Again, if he has kids. This is we, we are not going to hold someone to a standard to say, if you do not have kids, you cannot be a pastor. There's some people are not physically able to have kids, and there is no model for that in the New Testament. You cannot take Paul saying that he must be a good parent to say that, well, then if he's not a parent, he, he can't be a pastor. That's, again, an illustration where somebody may be qualified for a season, and then maybe, they're, maybe their parenting is a wreck, and they got to they got to back up, and they got to work on their family for a while. I'm gonna, I'll tell you, as a pastor's kid, it is not easy. Now, I know. Some, in fact, Ron, I think you asked me just somebody just asked me just a few days ago. You know, what was it like to be a pastor's kid, or was that difficult? And I, and I said, well, I don't really know any different, right? Because I, I I've always been a pastor's kid. But at the same time, I can tell you there were challenges. I mean, you're 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 living in a glass house when you're the pastor's kid, and there are expectations put on you and. And all kinds of things, and so there may it it may be that that um, God forbid, but I mean there could be a time you know I I pray it never happens where where I would have to step out and say hey look I got to work on I got to work on my parenting, I got to work on uh, on my son because of the issues he's having, and I I just there's no control. I don't foresee that happening. I, I pray that never happens, but but here's the point: having faithful children not accused of riot which means wasteful living, or unruly, meaning uncontrollable, defiant, specifically specifically, the word means regarding God's rule, God's law, defiant of God's commands. I'm not talking about having perfect kids. None of us have perfect kids. None of us were perfect kids. But I'm saying that if a child has a defiance towards God, and I used to be a social, you guys know I was a social worker, right? I've told you that a few times. I worked with many, many kids, male and female, mostly male, who had oppositional defiant disorder. That's what they called it. They were just kids who had never been disciplined. They, they were kids who had never been disciplined, and they were defiant. I mean, kids spit at me, throw things at me, hit me, punch me, kick me, bite me. All kinds of stuff. Curse, the cursing, the, getting cursed at, was just, that was just like, that was a good day, right? When you just, all you did was just get cursed at. All kinds of stuff. That, that's what he's saying here is if you cannot keep control of your household, then how can you come in, into church and stand in a pulpit? Now notice it says faithful children, that implies that the kids are part of the faith. Again, that means that they are that they're old enough, when they're old enough, when they're raised, that doesn't mean, that you can't be a pastor until your kids get baptized and make that public profession that there was a time in their life when they repented of their sin and trusted Jesus as their Savior. It, it just means that if you have been raising your kid and your kids are growing up and, and they have no interest in the things of God and they have no heart for God um, and, and you're so busy at church that you're not, you're not reaching your own kids, then, then get out of the pulpit. Get out of the pulpit. Work on your family. Your, uh, my family comes first. Jesus is first, right? But Jesus wants my family to come first. He wants Gigi to come first. He wants Elijah to come right, right there. 1A, 1B. And that has to be, that has to be uh, in the pulpit so that you can see that that's what it needs to be in your home as well. So, his marriage, his parenting, children part of the faith, Uh, In Timothy, he says, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Um, I've told you this before, I'll tell you again. We cannot choose Christ for our kids, but we must make Christ the obvious choice for our kids and disciple them in the faith. We can't make them get saved, but we can give them the clear picture and that means we have to live what we preach that means we got to preach it but that means we also have to live it that means when we're wrong we have to we have to tell them we're wrong and we have to apologize doesn't mean we have to go into every detail but it means we have to own our we have to model repentance for them if i if i'm never wrong if i'm always right and you do this and you do that that that's the image they get of god and, and they, they crea- it creates a distrust with, with the Heavenly Father. So a pastor, if he is married, he must be a one-woman man. If he has kids, he must be parenting them in the faith. And his mission field starts not in the pulpit, but in the crib and in the home and uh, in the, in the uh, living room and the kitchen and all of those places in the house. That's where uh, my number one ministry is must be number three he must be blameless in marriage his parenting and then notice also in his submission again i'm gonna hammer on this nail again as the steward of god as the steward of god he is not to be self-willed what does that mean the greek word means indulgent i do whatever i want to do i i you know i i just I do whatever I want to do, eat what I want to eat, buy what I want to buy, go where I want to go, say what I want to say, and you just got to deal with it. It's all about me. It's all about it's all about my wants. We have a we have a, an epidemic in the church today of of pastors who are not just failing morally, but they're failing financially, they're failing um, in the area of alcohol that that they they want to talk about their right to, to the freedom of to, to have a glass of wine or whatever. But really, what it is is an excuse to hide their alcoholism. And, and some of the some very prominent pastors within the last five, seven years, men whose names some of you know, who have had to step out of ministry uh, because of alcoholism. And this self-indulgence that I, I have no self-control. Um, because it's my way, it's my wants. Notice this, not not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker. The word for striker there means to punch, but it doesn't just mean to punch with your fists. It means you're a fighter. You're always looking for a fight. You always got to be right. You always got to come out on top. You always got to have the last word, contentious, contentious. We have to be in control of our emotions. We have to be in control of our responses when we get upset because I'm tell you, you're going to get, you're going to get upset as a, as a pastor and somebody in ministry. And if, if you've just been in any kind of leadership role in ministry in whatever area you are, you know you get criticism and, and sometimes it's fair, sometimes it's not fair. You get discouraged. You get things said about you that aren't true and you don't always even get a chance to address those because somebody misunderstood or somebody's just upset, upset at you. They're just going to lie about you but we're the steward of God. I'm the steward of God. I don't, I, don't re, I don't report to anyone but Him, first and foremost. Yes, I have response. Yes, I'm accountable to my wife. And yes, I'm accountable to our, our leadership. Yes, I'm accountable to our church. But ultimately, my number one accountability is, is God pleased. And if He's pleased, then I'm okay. But I have to be submissive to, them, to Him. I have to be submissive to Him if I want to be a servant to them and to everyone else. The pastor is to enforce God's word in God's house. He must serve God, not himself. He must be under God's control, not the control of wine, not the control of his own emotions. Number four, his finances. His marriage, his parenting, his submission as the steward of God and his finances. Paul says not given to filthy lucre. Friend, it's all dirty money. It's all dirty money. It's all dirty money. (laughs) You, you understand uh, how, what our government is doing with our tax money? you have any clue how, how much laundering, how much money laundering goes through the tax system, goes through the government? Uh, I, I mean, the, the things that our tax money gets used for is an abomination. It's all filthy money. It's all filthy lucre. We're not to be greedy for it. Now, it's a tool. It's a tool. But it's a tool that can be a trap. And so we have to be on guard. Paul goes into great detail in 1 Timothy chapter 6, warning Timothy and all of us that the love of money is the root of every kind of evil. Every kind of evil. Why would people do that? Why would people say that? Why would people treat kids that way? Why would people traffic humans today? Slavery is a bigger problem today than it was during the Civil War. It's a bigger problem today. People are being trafficked over the southern border constantly. People are being trafficked. I, I, I don't want to get into that. You, you, you know about Jeffrey Epstein, and we've talked about that whole debacle before. None of those people have been prosecuted except for Ghislaine. None of those people. We're still waiting. We're still waiting. And the only thing that we conclude is that they're all in on it because they're all covering for each other. It's sick. It's disgusting. It's filthy lucre. And we're not to be greedy for money. We're not to be obsessed with money. We're not to always be worried by money. Controlled by money. Listen, it's, it's difficult because, you know, as a pastor, I can't just go out and, and pick up extra hours and pick up another shift. You know, now there are some, some men who, who are bivocational. Um, that's not what God's called me to. And, and I'm not going to, to go start getting these other jobs um, That's just my conviction. God may give another man a different conviction, but I believe my conviction is that it is uh, our church uh, has been very faithful in providing for our needs, and I am not to worry about tomorrow. I'm not to be obsessed because I'm to consider the lilies of the field. I'm to consider the sparrow, and if the Lord knows how to take care of the birds and the the flowers, then uh, I should be okay. I should be okay. And I've, se- I've seen that time and again. There's twice in my life where God says, quit your job, where God, the Holy Spirit told me, I, I mean, it was not an audible voice, but it was clear. Quit your job. I don't have another one. Take a step of faith. Um, I don't have another one. Do it now. I, I remember praying. When I, remember when I was in Kentucky, I did not want to leave. I loved my youth group. I, I did not want to leave. I loved the the. Uh, we had an interim pastor. We were really hoping that the church would decide to keep, to keep him on as the as the next pastor. That's not how the that's not what happened. But um, but we were praying for that. And I'm and I wanted to stay. I wanted to work with Wayne. I wanted to be the youth pastor. And every time I'd pray about it, I hear the Holy Spirit say, "Leave, now. Don't wait." I mean, I just would hear it. Leave now. Don't wait. Leave now. Don't wait. Leave now. Don't wait. God, I don't have another job. And I remember one of my deacons coming to me and saying. Um, where, um, what are you going to do about health insurance? I said I don't know. You, you, you're going to go without health insurance? I, said, I guess. He's looked at me like I was crazy, and maybe I was. But I just felt like that's what I, that was doing what God called me to do. So there was a number of years where I didn't have health insurance because back then you didn't get fined for not having it. Um, anyways, finances—you cannot serve God and money. Matthew 6, Luke 16. Let me give you the last three here very quickly. His relationships. His relationship. A man must be blameless. To be an elder, he must be blameless in his relationships. And notice, he's talking about how we treat strangers and how we treat our friends. Who we choose for our friends. He must be a lover of hospitality. That's how we treat those we don't know. That's how we treat strangers. We must be hospitable. But then also, a lover of good men. In other words, I need to make sure that as a pastor... I am not spending my time with a bunch of guys who are worthless men. Now, David David did that for a season when he was in exile. uh, All he could surround himself with were worthless men. That was God's term for them, by the way. Worthless men, vagabonds, ruffians. But he was not a pastor, nor was he yet the king. He was in exile. So... As a pastor, we have to make sure, you, you know, I, I told my Sunday morning Bible study class this morning, Proverbs chapter 27, we were in. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. That's true of all of us. It's especially true of those in leadership. So uh, a man who is in leadership must walk with the wise. Proverbs 13, you walk with the wise, you'll be wise. You want to be a pastor, but you continue to be a companion of fools. You're setting yourself up for destruction. Number six his character. This is a general catch-all uh, uh, grouping here. Notice he says um, part of his character, he must be sober, just, holy, and temperate. Let's walk through those words just very quickly. The word sober means sound-minded. He's got to take, take his calling seriously. This is not a joke. James chapter 3 says, this is one of the reasons I didn't want to be a pastor. James chapter 3 says, not many of you should presume to be teachers knowing that you're going to receive a greater judgment. I'm sitting there thinking, I don't want a greater judgment. I don't want to give more of an account. To, I don't want to stand before God and have more to account for than anybody else. God says, uh, I, I chose that for you. I chose that for you. So I have to be sound minded. I have to be serious about what God has called me to do. I have to be number two, just. That, the word there means judging based on what God has approved. Just means that I'm judging based on what God has approved, what God says is right, what God says. not on what I think is right and what I think is wrong, not on what I wish was right and what I wish was wrong, but on what God's Word declares right. God's Word declares wrong. Number three, holy. Holy means um, relating to a higher law, and so because it's part of a higher law, it is deserving of respect. I should have an, an attitude of reverence whenever. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't tell jokes. It doesn't mean that we don't... Try to have a good time, but it means that we need to be we need to be serious. There are things that we don't take lightly. I'm not to be flippant. Whenever we observe the Lord's table, by the way, uh, Sunday morning in in two weeks, the the second Sunday in uh, February, we're going to observe the Lord's table on a Sunday morning. We haven't done that for a while on a Sunday morning. Um, We need to be very serious about that. It's not something that we just do. It's not something we do to check a box. And uh, I, I really, I genuinely fear for some men who have stood in, um, not this pulpit, but other pulpits like this who have not taken their calling seriously. And uh, I, I really fear for them when they, uh, when they stand before the Lord. Some uh, There's a few I'm not even really sure if they're truly saved uh, because of how um, much disregard they have given to the position. Um, we must have a character that sees what God calls holy, as actually holy. And then, of course, temperate, self-controlled. Self-controlled, literally in the Greek, means power from within. You have to be self-controlled to be qualified to call yourself blameless. Not sinless. Not that we never slip up. Not that we never make mistakes. But when we do, we repent. We, we give it to the Lord. And, and we don't make excuses for it. And it doesn't become a pattern in our life. Must be temperate. Now, here's the last thing, and we're going to end with this, but we're going to be talking about this through the rest of the book, really, because this is what what the the rest of the book expounds upon. And that's his teaching. That's his teaching. He must hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. That means, by the way, he must be taught. He must be taught. I I had a, a friend who's with the Lord now, but he had this. I'm not going to name the guy. I can't remember the guy's name. Um, and, but I wouldn't say it even if I could. And he was all about this, this guy. And he he told me, oh, he's self-taught. He's self-taught. He just studied the Bible all by himself, and he came up with all this stuff. And he's really, and I think he's really, I think he's really onto something. I think he's really right. And I listened to this guy. And this guy was a radical, hyper dispensationalist, and s- saw a difference. Like you know, Jews have a different kind of salvation than Gentiles. I'm like this guy. He wasn't self-taught. He was Satan taught. He's got to be taught. He, he has to have some form of, of training. doesn't mean that he has to have a master's. Doesn't mean that he have to, has to have a doctor. I don't, I don't have a master's. Um, but it means that he has to have gone through some type of training, that he's not just winging it every week. He is holding fast the faithful word. We, we tell stories to make a point. We give illustrations to make a point. I try to make you laugh sometimes. Uh, Sometimes I do it accidentally, but to try to to get your attention, to make a point. But what we are teaching is not stories. What we are teaching is God's word. We are to hold fast the faithful word as we have been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. In other words, you some of you need there are sometimes when we need encouragement and there are sometimes when we need confrontation. And that's not to be my opinion. That's not to be, well, here's what I think it means. Or here's what I think it is to be, thus saith the Lord. And here's how I know this is what it means. And that's the job of every overseer, whether they are speaking in this pulpit or speaking in the youth or speaking to children or speaking at camp or wherever we are speaking, we are holding fast the faithful word. And so when we look at a man who is, to determine whether or not he's blameless, we're saying, okay, is he married? What is his marriage like? Is he a parent? What is his parenting like? Is he in submission to the Lord? Or is he willful and, and self-absorbed? Is, is he obsessed with money? Or is he disciplined in his finances? Is he uh, right in his relationships with others, both those outside and those he surrounds himself with, his friends? Is he a man of character? Is he a man who knows how to teach faithfully teach the word of God if he is if he's blameless then he's someone that we can consider whether or not God has chosen and or ordained that he would serve here at our church let's go to the Lord in prayer God we thank you for um, your mercy and, and your grace God I thank you for the awesome privilege and responsibility that uh, you have laid on my life, God, a responsibility that I, I wrestled with and I fought you with. But, God, um, you alone are wise. And, God, I thank you that you were merciful and faithful and patient with me, uh, God, and that you did not just um, throw me to the side, stick me on the shelf, but but that, God, you disciplined um, your will into my life. And so, God, I pray again that for our church as we search for Uh, the man that you would have to serve as a pastor specifically to our youth, but God, who will be a pastor in our church and on the pastoral team. God, we pray that you would lead us to your choice, that you would give us the wisdom and the discernment to know that he is uh, blameless and that, God, you would give him the calling and desire uh, to serve here with us as well. We love and praise you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you just to um, take a few moments in your seat. We're going to just have a brief time of invitation. We're not going to sing a song, but I do want to give you an opportunity if you do have a need. We have deacons here uh, who would be happy to pray with you. Maybe you have a decision that you need to make right where you're sitting. Maybe there's something, the message was about pastors, but maybe there's something that God's word said to you tonight that really uh, pricked your heart. I want to give you time just for a moment tonight, right here, right now, to do business with the Holy Spirit. God, again, um, you are awesome. God, that you would even use any of us to be your servants and God let alone your children let alone your sons and daughters God let alone um, heirs um, with Christ God to all of the blessings that we receive through Christ Father we want to give you praise and honor and glory tonight we pray for uh, Butch uh, as he recovers and uh, God just strengthen him and and Elmer and Peggy who work with our youth and others God and Steve's over there right now God We pray that you'd be with our youth. We pray that you'd be with the parents of our youth and our families, God, as as we wait and pray for your leading. Uh, God, we pray that this would be a time when we would all come together and encourage one another. And, uh, uh, God, again, we pray for uh, strength for Butch and and thank you for his his heart and faithfulness to serve our kids. Uh, And, God, just strengthen him, give him the continued ability to do that for as long as he's able until we can find uh, the man you've called. And, uh, uh, God, we uh, entrust our kids and that ministry to you, Lord, because we know they are yours, and this is your church, and it's your ministry. So, God, we give you all the praise and glory. Give us safety as we travel home tonight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Hope to see you Wednesday night.
0: That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday Morning Bible Study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10 30 a.m. Sunday evening service at 6 30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6 30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The Youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays and our WANA program for sixth grade and under meets at 6 15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again we thank you for joining us today and we hope to see you soon but until next time stay faithful.